0: you Very much, just give me a second to. Oh, I think that's that's probably about the right height, actually. That's good. Oh, excellent. I um, want to start off by telling you a couple of very brief, I suppose, incidents rather than stories. And um, we've all been in this situation where something's occurred, and we've thought afterwards, Oh, I wish I'd said. You know, particularly in terms of sharing something of God. And uh, some while ago, Jean was at a shop that she went goes to very often and knows the staff there, and uh, she was paying on the credit card, but the lady that she was, you know, the member of staff, um, didn't know her. Jean didn't know this lady, and Jean signed her name, and then expected this lady to say oh, can I see your card and see the signature to check? So Jean said, don't you want to see the back of the card? And this lady turned to her and said, no, you've got an honest face. Um, But Jean, it was one of those occasions where Jean actually had the right thing to say. And she said, well, perhaps that's not too surprising because I've been walking with Jesus for a long time. And it's not surprising that something of him should be showing my face. Now, those sorts of things, you perhaps think, oh, I wish I'd think of things like that. And I think that as well. Um, And and Jean would tell you that's an unusual occurrence. She was more surprised than than anybody else. Um, Again, I think about four years ago, we had a holiday in Bratislava, which is the capital of Slovakia, where they speak Czech and uh, one day Jean wasn't well and needed to stay in the the hotel and I wandered off to visit the Jewish Museum which was quite interesting but as I got there and I entered the the lobby area this lad came up to me I, I don't know how old he would have been I'm guessing perhaps about 16 he had his skull cap on he was Jewish and he came up to me and why is it that everybody knows we're English? I mean those of us that are forgive me those that aren't but you know when you go abroad somehow there's something about us we don't have to be wearing Union Jacks but something about us that says England um, or Wales or wherever. whatever so British anyway uh, so this lad came up to me in English he says to me, are you Jewish? and I said no, no I'm not Jewish so that was it, he, he His body language said it all, not interested, and wandered off. And I thought afterwards, you know, I could have given a much better answer than that. I could have said, I'm not a Jew, but I am of the faith of Abraham. And I wondered what sort of reaction I would have got from that. And I want us to talk, I'm going to do the talking, but I want us to think this morning about what it means to be of the faith of Abraham. Uh, I've been reading uh, over the last, uh, what did it be, few weeks, I suppose, I've been re- I was reading and I've been mulling back over and looking again at the story of Abraham in the Old Testament, in, in Genesis. And uh, one of the things that struck me was actually, we know he had a special call of God on him, and we know that God spoke to him and led him, but actually... The things that God called him to do weren't that extraordinary and I believe that we are all called to be of the faith of Abraham and to walk with God in the same way that Abraham did we have a tendency and I think we have a tendency over a long period you know it's normal human tendency to actually have people that we, we look up to and we elevate and we put up on a stand and we think that's them and they're different to us. And today we have the cult of the celebrity and somehow we see these as special people who are different to us. We're the we're hoi the, polloi, they're, they're the special ones. It's not true. And if you read the story of Abraham... That could be your story. Not in the same way, because Abraham had a particular calling on him. But I want to tell you that each one of us, if you're a born-again Christian, you have the call of God on your life, and you have a purpose, and it may not be that it's going to be written about and read about in a few thousand years' time. I don't suppose we'll be here in a few thousand years' time. I expect the Lord will have come back. But... God has a call on us, each one of us, to walk with him. So let's have a look at what we do read about Abraham, uh, the hero of faith. And I'm going to read from Hebrews. Um, it's chapter 11, which is the, the big faith chapter in Hebrews, that talks about various heroes of faith. But they're, they're like I'm saying, they're really only people like us, who have gone before. And we're being told about them and reminded about them because they have gone before us. And we need to get in line with them and follow in their footsteps. So we're looking at uh, Hebrews eleven eight to 12, and then we're gonna to skip to 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. And then in verse 17, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son even though God had said to him it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead and figuratively speaking he did receive Isaac back from death. So what was Abraham asked to do? Basically three things. One was... To go to the land that we now know of as uh, the land of Canaan, which became the land of Israel. He was told to move. Now, there's plenty of people here who've got us called to move and have been obedient. So, in one sense, that's not that great a thing. Um, he called him to have a child. Now, it was something of a miracle. His wife was barren, and the two of them were well, well, well beyond childbearing age. But actually what he was asked to do wasn't that difficult. And the third thing he was asked to do actually was to sacrifice his son. Now that would be difficult. But actually he didn't have to do it. He just had to be obedient. Because if you remember the story, um, he went to sacrifice Isaac. And before he actually stuck the knife in, God said, stop there. Don't do it. And then he realized that God had provided a sacrifice in the form of a ram that was caught in some bushes, and he sacrificed that to God. And that was a step of obedience. And there are things that God calls us to do that are really steps of obedience and steps of of hearing what God is saying. And these things were credited to Abraham as righteousness. We read that in Genesis 15, 6, and it's referred to again. uh, Three places in the New Testament, three books, Romans, Galatians, and James, all refer to Abraham's faith being credited to him as righteousness. So I want us to think about um, what this means, what this faith means, uh, when, when God speaks. And the first thing that we need to do is to believe When we hear God speaking to us, we feel God is saying something to us, the first step is to actually acknowledge that this is from God. We need to believe. The second step is that we need to trust in what we've believed, what we've heard. We need to trust in God, that he knows what he's doing, he's called us into something, to do something, and... That is what he's he's going to bring about. And the third thing that we need to do is act, whatever that action is. We believe, we trust, and then we step out on the basis of that belief. We have to act. God doesn't call us to do something and then want us to sit still. He wants us to act. Now, there are different ways in which God speaks to us. And I'd like us just to think briefly about how God speaks to us. And I'm thinking that we are, we are all different, and God may speak to you differently to how he speaks to me. Um, I remember Jim, Jim said a few weeks ago that uh, probably when, John, uh, when God's dealing business with John, John doesn't look any different to the rest of the time. Um, some of you might get a lot more excited when God speaks to you, um, some of us, perhaps God speaks uh, through song, through worship. Some of us, perhaps he's more inclined, more, we're more able to hear him through the, reading the Bible. Some of us may just uh, hear God speaking to us when we're praying. But there are different ways in which God speaks to us. And when we hear God speak, uh, the first thing we need to do, if we believe God is speaking to us, is to weigh it. To check it out. This is what I feel God's saying. Does this feel as though it's coming from the right place? I'm not imagining this. It's not excitement that's making me think this, but I actually feel that it's God that's speaking to me to weigh it. And of course, we weigh, we weigh everything that we hear uh, against Scripture. And the second thing is that we have the opportunity, because we're part of church. When we feel God saying something to us, we have the opportunity to submit to others and say, look, I wanna just share with you what I think God is saying to me, and I, and I want you just to, just to tell me if you think that's right and encourage me in it if it is, is and if, if it's not right, then, or if you think it's not right, then just tell me. I want to know. So we, we weigh it ourselves, but then we have the opportunity to weigh it with other people and let them feed back to us and to say yes because that's, that's hugely powerful it's, it's part of what church is about that God, God uses us together to encourage each other and how encouraging is it if someone says yes I believe that's what God's saying amen brother or sister you know I'm, I'm with you in it and I, I just believe that's of God and the third thing we need to do is when God speaks to us to take action He speaks to us for a reason. Now, the second way in which God can speak to us is through prophecy. And we are blessed in this church to be a prophetic church where lots of people have prophetic gift. Jean and I came here eight years ago. It was a bit of a, we had to get used to it um, because we came from a church background where it was rare to get prophetic words um, but we, are, we really are privileged. In fact, we, the first prophetic word we had was before we ever got here, and we were visiting, and we had a word for us which, which took us by surprise, but was a huge blessing to us at the time and an encouragement. So again, when we get a prophetic word, what do we do? We weigh the message. And then I think what we do is we, we store it, because often prophetic words... Are, are something that God is telling us to not necessarily take action now, but something that we we need to be aware of, we need to take account of, and we need, to, we need to have part of us, we need to embrace. And we take from it what we can now, but we store it up because it's perhaps something that's a bit future. And I, I'm thinking here of Mary in the New Testament, uh, Jesus' mother, and it said that all the things that happened around the birth of jesus that she stored them up in her heart you know here was this prophetic um message that she was receiving from the wise men um, and from the shepherds and and she you know it was a huge thing but she took it on board and she she carried it There wasn't much she could do about it she'd got a baby uh, but it's what he was going to become. And sometimes God's prophetic word to us is something for the future. Now, I want to go on now um, and take the opportunity for something that I've wanted to do for a while, but, but haven't felt that it was the right time. And I think this is, I want to add to what I've been sort of teaching uh, with testimony. And I want to be a bit careful doing this because I don't want you to think, or oh, John thinks he's a great man of faith because John doesn't. Um, but I hope I am something of a man of faith, and i 'd like to share with you a journey that i've been <coughs> excuse me i 've been on um, four years ago. I reached the age at which men have traditionally retired and uh, of course, these days we don 't have a cut off like we used to it used to be you 've reached sixty five and that's it, whatever you're doing, however important you are to the organization you're working for or whatever, that's it, your birthday's come, you are now retired, off you go. Um, I reached that age and I was aware that something had to give because I was over, overloaded with things I was doing. Uh, my full-time job, work I was doing on our home and work I was doing in connection with the church. And I was aware that something had to give. I wasn't going to give up the, the work I was, going to, I was doing in connection with church. I wasn't going to give up the work I was doing on our home. It was employment that I had to give and I envisaged dropping my hours down perhaps to four days a week and then maybe to three days a week. Um, but I reached that age and I said God how do I know when to retire? So I said Lord this is where I'm at. You know Gene and I have talked about this and this is what we think with the wisdom you've given us is the right way to progress. But you're in charge and I'll submit that to you. Months later I was made redundant. I wasn't expecting it and I would tell you that it shouldn't have happened because I was the only person doing the job I was doing and I, I don't know what happened afterwards It'd be interesting to know but i don't know um but i came to that point and and god provided for us through making me redundant financially um and when i heard that i was going to be made redundant it came as a a shock it really did but very quickly i remembered that i'd said lord this is what i think is the right thing to do but it's in your hands and i very quickly realized this was god's provision and I saw it as actually his provision, not just his will. And I embraced it and I thought, this is great. But then what's going to come now? And I had a sense, I, I gradually came to have a sense that God had got something for me for the future, something new. And um, I seem to recall there were one or two prophetic words to that effect as well um, that people, people shared. So I was, I was made redundant and I was, I was carrying this um, sense that there's something new and I don't know what it is. And um, I, had, I had some work to do on the house that needed to be completed before our son and daughter-in-law came to live with us when they came back from Australia, uh, which was quite a, quite a bit of work. So it wasn't as though I was kicking my heels wondering what to do with myself. And then there was somebody who asked me if I would go and speak to his elderly father because this guy, whose name was James, was asking questions um, that were rather a stretch. And uh, this brother who asked me was struggling to answer those questions. Now, I love answering people's questions about God. Um, I you know, bring it on. You know, I know know that a lot of people find it difficult and maybe find it a bit of a challenge in terms of witnessing because they might get asked a question that they don't know how they're going to answer. Um, I have lots of things that I'm not good at, but I love answering people's questions about God. And I I went to visit this guy because he lived um, in Ledbury, somewhere away, uh, on a beautiful um, January morning and the sun was shining, and I had this lovely journey down there. And I was welcomed, and I sat down in this guy's lounge, and he sat opposite me. Um, and the first thing he said was, so how did you get into this thing? Which I translated as, tell me your testimony. So that was a fantastic start. And we had a couple of hours with him asking me questions about Christian faith. He wasn't a Christian he wanted to know and he asked these questions and uh he didn't get saved um nothing particular happened um but it was good and I had an equally lovely journey home and I was just blessed I was really really blessed and over the months that followed I meditated on this and how much I'd enjoyed doing that and I thought I wish more people would ask me to go and talk to whoever, because they've got questions about Christian faith. And I also had the sense that maybe I should do some writing. I've done various things, written tracts before, written some booklets, small booklets before, and I was thinking, I think maybe I ought to look at those again, those booklets, and maybe make them better and expand them a bit. But this whole idea about explaining things to people who aren't Christians... Uh, kept coming back at me and to cut a long story short, I came to the conclusion that I should write a book. Now, that's a bit of a bolt from the blue um, because I, I had thought in the past that, you know, maybe one could write a book and then I thought, oh no, it takes so much time and effort and so forth, but God had given me the time and the effort and I also thought, well, what would I write about you know it's one of those things but now I actually had something to write about something very clear in my mind as to what um, what I should do and I started off very tentatively thinking well you know I better try this because I might find I I can't write Um, so what I did was I I did a one-man brainstorm to start with and I wrote down a whole load of questions that people ask some that I'd been asked, some that I might have been asked at some point but have forgotten about and some that I figured people would ask if, if they wanted to ask them. Um, so rather than sort of writing about what I wanted to tell people necessarily, I wanted to hear what they wanted uh, to, and I, I submitted that to other people. Some people here kindly looked at uh, some of my suggestions, some of my list, I don't think anyone took any of them away, but there were some added ones. Um, And I landed up with 70 topics to write about. Anyway, I wrote the book. And um, I got blessed writing the book. Um, I enjoyed doing it. It was great. And uh, I started writing a second book. I was looking for a publisher for the first book. And the first book is called The Viewing an outside-in view of essential Christianity, and it's, it's written for people on the outside. So uh, Bible verses are all in the back. If you want to look up Bible verses, they're at the back of the book. And um, it's not religious at all. The second book I wanted to write was for people who have become Christians, a sort of, now you've become a Christian, here's the manual of, to finding your way in the Christian life. And that's called Moving In. So the first one, you're viewing the house, the second one, you're moving into the house. Um, And when I started writing that, I was talking with somebody here, um, and I was sharing the difficulty I was having getting a publisher for the first book, and that I was writing this second book. And um, they said they felt that the reason why I hadn't got a publisher for the first book was because they were both going to be published together. Now, I sensed that that was right, that, that rang true with me. I felt that's right. And so I took action on that, and I redoubled my efforts in writing the second book. I put some urgency into it, and I even set myself a deadline and said, I want to get this out. I want to get it to the publisher before I hear from them about the first book, basically. That went well. Well, I wrote the book, and I was pleased with it. And I submitted it to the publisher, and they wrote back to me after a while, and they said, thank you for submitting your books, we would like to publish your first book, and we've got to check it out yet, but we'd also like to publish your second book at the same time. And I thought, fantastic, you know, I had a, what I thought was a prophetic word, and I, I, you can weigh yourself whether it was or not, um, I'd acted on it, and now this publisher wanted to publish both books. Um, but after a while they came back to me and said we've read your second book and because it's got charismatic bits in it and we are a publisher that doesn't hold with the baptism with the Holy Spirit we can't publish it but we'll still go ahead with your first book so that was difficult and that's where I am so sometimes we hear God we believe we're hearing God and we act on that sometimes things actually don't work out quite the way we think they're going to now I still believe God's in the second book I still believe it's going to be published but obviously not by that publisher so I just wanted to share that with you um, because this is the journey of faith where we take action based on what we believe God is saying but the good news is yesterday I got a sample copy of my first book so um, that was that was exciting. Yeah. Um, that was exciting. And I was hoping to have a stock of them, uh, but they, they're coming on Tuesday. But they, they express mailed that to me so that I would have it uh, yesterday. So that's the way that sometimes things don't work out in exactly the way they think they're going to. But we, we need to hold true. I had some prophecies um, one of the Gordon one time prophesied that my first book would be published, and that was a huge encouragement and I stood on that and I I, I, believe, I believed it in my heart, but I also believed it because I'd had the prophecy. so I, I want to encourage you in that now, I want to go back to um, Abraham sort of because I want to talk about lot. Abraham uh, had a nephew lot have we got the picture there we go Um, I thought it would be helpful to put the um, sort of family tree of Abraham I've left loads of people out there's lots of brothers that are mentioned in the Bible but I've just kept uh, Abraham was the son of Terah and he and Terah left uh, the country they left can't remember um, together then Terah died Um, Haran who was Abraham's brother on the right hand side was also died and had a son, Lot. Um, and in the middle, I've boxed it in because it's actually interesting because it shows the, where Rebecca uh, was the son of Bethuel, sorry, the daughter of Bethuel, the daughter of Nahor, who was Abraham's brother. And it's Isaac who married Rebecca. Just thought it was useful to fill in the gaps as it were. But Abraham and Lot went to the promised land and the only reason why they party company was they were both prospering so much that they were starting to have a bit of conflict between their servants because um, there wasn't room for them both to be in the same area, the same piece of land, uh, because their herds were so great and they needed grazing and so forth. But Lot didn't always act in the way that is honourable. Um, and he, he was part of this family. He came with Abraham. And sometimes we can find ourselves journeying with somebody else against their calling and against their faith. Okay. Um, and against their faith. And Lot, it wasn't Lot who was called by God, it was Abraham. And Lot came along as well. And uh, when they decided to part company, Abraham said to Lot, look, there's too, too much of us between us. We need to divide and go different places just because of our size, not because there's any disagreement amongst us. And Lot looked out and he saw the plain of the Jordan River. And he thought to himself, that looks good. It's rich. Uh, it's great, it'll be great for the herds and flocks, and uh, I'm going to choose there. Abraham gave Lot the choice. Now, I, I don't think it was quite the cultural right thing for Lot to do, because when we read different places in the Bible, there's always the sort of giving and, and, and sort of, um, you do what you want to do, and oh, no, 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 you do what you want to do. But, but Lot, he was, he was after the plain, and he wanted to go there. And uh, we read that um, he pitched his tents near Sodom in Genesis 13, uh, 10 to 12. Get to the right spots in my Bible. Lot looked up and saw what the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt towards Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan, set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now, I'll, I'll stop there. Um, so there he was living near Sodom. The next thing we read in Genesis 14:12, Lot's living in Sodom. So he's, he's making bad choices, his lot. Um, after a while, there is a battle and um, lots and the people of Sodom are all captured and their, wealth, their, their possessions are taken away by uh, a group of kings who had allied against them. And uh, Abraham goes to their rescue. And Abraham is able to rescue them and their possessions. And then we read in, um, in Genesis 14:22, find the right page, here we go, um, and 23, the story of what happens after this rescue. Now, if you're familiar with the story, you'll know that this is the point where Melchizedek shows up and Abraham gives Melchizedek a tenth of uh, what, he, what he possesses. But the king of Sodom also shows up. And this is what Abraham says. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I've raised my hand to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abraham rich. I'll stop there. Abraham had a sense of where Sodom was at. He had negotiated with God for the release of Lot because God said he was going to destroy Sodom. And Abraham uh, negotiated and said, look, if the, I think it started off with 50. If there are 50 righteous people there, are you still going to destroy the city for 50 people? And he gets all the way down to 10 people God says, no, if there are 10 righteous there, I won't destroy the city for 10. But clearly there weren't 10 righteous people there. And God sent uh, angels to go and to tell Lot and his family to leave because he was going to destroy the city. And he does that. Um, and then in Genesis 19.30. Uh, sorry, that's not right. Um, 1915 to 20, I probably haven't got too much time to read that, so I'm going to tell you the story instead. Um, We all know that they do leave, but but they're rather reluctant. Um, Lots and his wife and his two daughters, um, the the angels in the end have to grab hold of them and pull them out and say, come, you've got to go. And then there's another negotiation that goes on because... Um, Lot is told you need to flee to the mountains remember they're in a valley in in a a sort of flat valley area you need to flee to the mountains and Lot says no I I can't manage to go to the mountains let's go to this this, this little town over there Zoar, let's go there and so Abraham uh, sorry I keep saying Abraham so the angels say okay go to Zoar so he, he really doesn't want to go where he's being told to go. He doesn't want to do what he's being told to do. He doesn't want to do what God says. And after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, and, and in the midst of that, of course, Lot's wife turns back, which they were told not to do, and she gets turned into a, a tower, tower of salt. Um, they go to Soar, and then because he's afraid, Lot goes and finds Uh, a cave and lives in a cave with his daughters so lot really isn't a man of faith abraham's the man of faith lot is doing what seems right to him and even though god is still looking after lot lot is is not playing playing ball and the interesting thing that comes out from this is that lot uh, living in these uh, this cave he's isolated And after a while his daughters think well we want to have children Um, and they get their father drunk and they go and lie with their father and become pregnant by their father. And the outcome of that is two sons, one who becomes the, the ancestor of the Moabites and the other the ancestor of the Ammonites, both of whom was something of a plague and a hindrance to the children of Israel when they came back from uh, from Egypt into the promised land. So we get to have a choice whether we're going to follow the faith of Abraham or whether we're going to follow Lot. Whether we're going to do what God says, have our, our ears open to hear what God is saying to us and obedient to him when he does speak to us and whether we're going to carry on that journey. It may be that God said something to you some while ago, and you heard it and you trusted it, but somehow it's got lost, and you need to rekindle that, and you need to come back to God and say, God, you said this to me. Can I take this back up again? I want to be faithful to you. I want to honor you. The journey of faith starts with a willingness to hear God with a willingness to hear God speak to you. And we need to be people who invite God to speak to us. It's, it's an attitude of heart, an openness of heart to God, saying, God, I want to hear you speak. I'm yours. I want to be your servant. I want to follow you. I want to know what you want me to do. The journey of faith progresses through trusting what God says and acting on what God says. It continues by being faithful. Remember I said that sometimes God speaks to us and it's something that we need to store in our hearts. Um, It's something we need to to hold on to for the day when it's going to be uh, important for us to act upon particularly. So we need to continue to be faithful and the journey of faith ends in God being glorified and us being blessed. There's something that I have a want to tell people, and that is that we only get to have testimony when we step out and trust God. We don't get testimony any other way. We get to have a testimony because we've heard God speak and we've been obedient. And our salvation testimony is because we heard God speak to us and heard God tell us about his love and his, the sacrifice of Jesus and the fact that he wants us to to come to him and be part of his kingdom. And every testimony that we have is a testimony because we stepped out in faith, and we trusted God, and we obeyed him. Thank you very much. Thank you, John. We'll finish there. Uh, The children will be back to us shortly.